Father, thank you for this day. It is glorious. It's so fun to be back together, at least at some level, Lord, with, with the church family. We thank you that you do care about us gathering. It is important to you. You've gathered people, your people, from all the way back uh, down from the patriarchs. And as they freed slavery and moved away, you commanded them to gather together. And you've certainly commanded the church not to forsake its assembling, Lord. And we, we have strived by your grace to do that as best we can, Lord, uh, over these last weeks and months, Lord. Thank you for the technology that you can. Thank you for our sound crew, Troy and his team, and, and Hayward and his team, and uh, Bobby and his team, and so many, Lord, that have done so much to make us uh, available to your people in the best way we can. But Lord, now as we start even today a soft opening and as the weeks go on and uh, the church begins to return to assemble corporately, that you would give us grace with each other, mercy with each other. You would just fill our hearts with joy as we see one another. Lord, teach us that you have put a unique bond between believers. It's nothing uh, that, that the world's ever had. They cannot have it unless they receive the Spirit of God at salvation and be part of the church, part of the bride of Christ. It is so unique to us, Lord. And I pray that each person here, each person watching, and, and then eventually returning will experience that great joy, Lord, and realize how you've called us to be together. Lord, thank you for that, Lord. We don't know what life holds and what kind of persecution you could send the church even in America Lord but we got a little bit of a taste of it and how we learn to communicate and and care for one another when we can't be together Lord help us not lose some of these things we've learned uh, how we've sought to meet needs in extraordinary ways Lord may you continue to make us even better together when we come back Lord we are so grateful that you love us we thank you that we can cast our cares our anxieties upon you because you care for us, Lord. Now, take your word, pierce our hearts, Lord. Cause us to be broken before your word, but yet encouraged greatly as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I could, with great confidence, say that I would not be in the position that God has me in if it was not submission to older men in my life. Um, somewhere along the line, um, God broke a pretty strong, proudful young man and gave me a heart to submit to older men, particularly elders and pastors who were in my life. Uh, it doesn't mean that I wasn't like many young men who have a little bit of a rebellious streak and want to be independent and so forth. But there was some point in my life where I desired to be under the care and, and watchful eye of, of leadership and people in my life, and it really changed my life and really set the direction that God had for me. One of the most sad, one of many sad passages within the scriptures is the lesson of Rehoboam. You remember Jeroboam and Rehoboam were where the nation got split. Jeroboam took the southern tribes, which would be Jerusalem and Judea area and there, and Rehoboam took the northern ten tribes. It was a terrible time in the nation's history. They were turning quickly away from the Lord. And one of the things that we saw, we, we, we see in 1 Kings chapter 12 is the arrogance of young Rehoboam. The Bible says that he sought the wisdom of the elders who were those who counseled his father, the, the most wisest man on the earth, 
had counselors. Think about that. Some of us that go around in life and go, well, you know, I, I, I can handle my own. I don't need other men or anybody in my life. The wisest man in the world had counselors. And they were given to Rehoboam. And Rehoboam went to these men, listened to them, and in the end turned completely away from them. Here's what the text says, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 18. But he forsook the counsel of the elders, which was given to him, and he consulted with young men whom he grew up with and served him. What a major mistake. If you know the lessons of Israel, that was perilous. That plunged the nation into ruins. They began to uh, set up another temple, worship false gods. In fact, there was never a godly king who served in the northern tribes. And all because it starts with a man who would not seek the wisdom of godly men. I think this is an important point. And as this text starts out, you begin to see that God wants us to be humble. He wants us to be in submission um, to those that he places in our charge. Now, I think the point as we look at all this is that humility and submission are um, indissolubly linked. You, you can't have one without the other. However, it, it is through submission that God's grace is grasped and it's received. When we learn to submit, you learn to receive the grace of God. We're going to realize he opposes those who won't, who, who are proud, but he gives grace to those who do. That's what the text says. So, as I thought about this, just a way of introduction, every one of us who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are assured you're saved through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, every one of you submitted. You had to. You, you don't come to God, well, okay, I'll be saved, thanks. This, that's, not, that, that's, that's not any way the, work, the Bible works or the, the Spirit of God works. Every one of us bent the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. We said, I can't save myself. In some way or fashion, maybe young and you just knew you were a sinner and, and you believed Jesus died for you, as simple that was, you said, oh Jesus, please come into my heart. You bent the knee. You submitted. And God did what? Saved you by Grace. So grace is received through submission. And we submit to him as Lord, as Savior. And the same is true each and every day in our life. If we want the grace of God, we submit to him. We submit to his word. So let me give you five thoughts this morning as we look through this great passage. Number one, humility is obtained through submission. Humility is obtained through submission. Look at the first Two verses, five, six, and seven here. Young men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you at proper time, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Well, here you see this unbreakable link between humility and finding that through submission. There's a submittive heart here that receives humility. It's accomplished in the heart and mind of a believer. And, and notice how he starts this out. He, he, he says, likewise. You know, your Bible might start that 
uh, word in verse five, or it may go in a few words, but that's, that's the idea. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, this is a term he keeps using. I think this is the third time he used it. Likewise, wives and husbands, likewise submit to the government. He uses this term to, to teach you this ongoing truth, this motivating work of the Lord Jesus Christ to likewise adapt this to certain parts of your life. So he, he's bringing us in in this. But Peter now turns his instruction to the sheep, the sheep um, that belong to the shepherds, right? He says, young men submit to the elders. And you say, well, why is he picking on young men? Well, um, young men, I think first, um, he goes after them, and he's not going to stay after them for long, but it's because often they have the most difficult time, right? Guys, give me a nod here. You remember when you were young, right? Listen, Dad, I got this figured out. (laughs) I remember my sons telling me that certain times. Dad, I got it. it." Okay, son. (laughs) We, We men just have this innate... Pridefulness in us, in our flesh, that we, we don't want help at times. And so I think he's addressing them because this is a difficult time in young men's life. There's pride there, and thus submission is hard for them. And if, and if submission is difficult, then humility is difficult. You can see the connection here. Now, also submission had to be, um, had been addressed already, right? He addressed submission in chapter three to wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. He, he, he talked about submissions in chapter two to the governing authorities, both kings and local authorities and so forth. And think about this. He doesn't directly start out with the older generation because they would have, some, they would have understood submission to elders, uh, it's the younger ones that, that struggle a little bit. Isn't it interesting when you see a riot somewhere <laughs> um, around the world? And I'm not picking on you young people. I'm going to talk about you in a good way in a minute. Hang on with me. Um, <laughs> uh, it's always led by young, usually men, right? They're out there throwing rocks at guys with tanks. Like, uh, whoa, okay, hold on. Rock, tank. That's the, that's the issue, right? He's trying to address some of these young men. You need to have men in your life that you will submit to, men that will give you authority and help you, direct you. Also, the term seems to be referring not only just to younger people in age, but younger in the faith. One of the things is young men or young people or young anybody comes to the Lord, they need somebody in their life. You don't take a child born to you and just leave them out in the woods. Uh, we would never do that. If we know about a believer who's come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to surround you with people who love you and care for you, disciple you. That's the goal. And, and so it isn't just about being young. It's, it's about being discipled. And he's challenging them to find humility through submission. However, this time for young people um, is, is important. It helps them guard against impulses. Uh, the younger we are, uh, and maybe spiritually as well as physically, uh, we'll have impulses that will cause great consequences in our life. We'll run after things that we'll pay for later. Submitting to elders or mature believers will allow people to grow, these young people to grow and be discipled. And not, listen, not experience some of the troubles that are waiting for you. So, so he immediately goes after, he's been talking about eldership and elders being among the flock and what a true biblical elder is. We looked at that um, last week, I believe. And then now he, he turns to the attention of these young people. 
See, I think submission and discipleship will allow a younger person to now blend into the flock. I've been real impressed with what's going on with our Crossroads ministry. Um, what a joy. And uh, there's some Crossroaders here, and I know many of you are watching at home. And, uh, what, how, how, I think three or four at least out of our last membership class were out of Crossroads. See, these young people are submitting to leadership. They're getting discipled, and they're wanting to be a part of a church. Well, then that's not usual. Today, a lot of people in the world, they don't want to be a part of those kind of groups, right? Everything is about individualism now. But not, not people who are discipled, not young people who know God's word. They're saying, yeah, hey, I want to throw my hat in the ring. I want to put myself into submission to the elders and be a part of that church. Well, that's encouraging. And that's what God does, and he's challenging young people to, to be, be discipled, submit, come humbly, and now you become part of something that is outstanding. Now, all of this assumes that the older members are mature themselves. Older members, have you been discipled? See, it, it all stops if we all aren't doing our part. So members had, well, look, I've attended River Bend for, you know, I've heard that, right? I, I don't need to go through partners. I don't, you know, I've been, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. See, older members, we have to do our due diligence. One, to love Christ our own, not out of just duty, but delight. That's a big difference, isn't it? Do I love God, or am I so traditionally set in my ways that, hey, what do you do? Well, I go to church. No, we go and worship our Savior because he gave his life for us. And I can't wait to help some young person understand that more forward. See, that's what it entails. And so you see this discipleship aspect that's going on in this text. Now, think about this. No matter what the age, submission is the gateway to humility. And so he uses this word that Peter and Paul and many of the writers of scriptures use. Christ himself uses this. Hupatasso. It means to submit. It means to line one's fares up under someone else. It's a military term in many cases. So you line your affairs up under someone else. And, and submission, it, listen, submission goes against the flesh, doesn't it? It just goes against the flesh. And, and, and I've seen a few wives nodding their heads and men. I, it's, it's a battle for us at times, isn't it? And, and fl- our flesh, and listen, it craves to have its way. Our, our flesh craves to have its way, to be heard. To, to someone to know who I am. And uh, it, it's... It just wants its way all the time. When you wake up, your flesh wakes up with you. What are we going to do for ourselves today? <laughs> How are we going to break our arm, pad in our back? See, that's where our flesh works. And there's a battle out there. But at salvation, listen, brothers and sisters, at salvation, God grants us the Spirit of God. And it comes upon all true believers and empowers us with the ability to submit. I've watched... Through the years of ministry, I've watched some men and people come with some gals, whew, come out of uh, unbelievable worldly backgrounds and become some of the most precious church members I've ever had a chance to pastor. Because the Spirit of God came upon them and, they, and he, he brought them, the Spirit of God longs for the Word of God, spotlights the Word of God, spotlights the Word of Christ. That's what he does. And so submission starts to come. 
Look, we, we're commanded to submit to government, where wives are commanded to submit to their husbands, husbands are commanded to submit to Christ, children are commanded to submit to their parents, employees to their employers, and so on. But to submit in a way that God receives the glory, it must take the Spirit of God. Right? Otherwise, we go through motions, and it just doesn't work. It'll catch up with your marriage. It'll catch up with your relationship in church. It'll catch up in a lot of ways. So we, we know that it takes the Spirit to lead us. Look at Galatians chapter 5 with me. Keep your finger there in 1 Peter. We'll come back there in a second. Galatians chapter 5. What a beautiful passage this is. Paul has been challenged in them that they're the false view that has come to Galatia about how to be right with God was not of the Spirit. This works-based, you gotta be circumcised, and you gotta keep the law of Moses, you gotta do all that stuff, plus your Jesus, and then you get to see the kingdom. That was a false truth, and the Spirit was not a part of it. And so that's why he introduces this great section of the Spirit in this letter. Because he was proving to them that their law-keeping, their duty-based religion, that these, these Pharisees and others who had come to plague the church in Galatia was not of God. Because he wants to show them that's of the flesh, that's not of the spirit. Does that make sense? That, that's kind of a little quick picture of Galatians, isn't it? But look at verse 16 with me. Chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. I love that verse. Tired of letting the flesh work? Tired of, hey, as a Christian, we should be tired of our sins, or shouldn't we, at times? Are you tired of it? Well, the Bible says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Many young men have come to me and said, man, I have a drug issue, I have a pornography issue, I have whatever issue. Well, that's the power of the flesh. That's the desire of the flesh. Look at verse 17. This is the battle we're in. For the flesh sets its desires, you could translate it, wars. Battles, lust against the spirit. That's the, it's a strong Greek word there. The spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that, you do, so that you may not do the things you please. I like that little phrase at the end. Christians want to please the Lord, don't we? And yet there's a part of us that we wrestle with. And I think it's that we do not let the spirit get into certain aspects of our life. We go, well, you can have a Sunday, right? <laughs> but don't you dare come near my business on Monday. Don't get involved in my marriage. Don't get involved in my parenting. You know, I'll, I'll give you 10 minutes in the morning. Spirit wants it all, right? So that's what Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, like a wine flowing through a drunk man. Wherever you take blood out of that person, you would find the effects of that. Thus, he wants the Spirit to be involved in us that way. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There's the overall context, right? Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, fractions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and and things like these of which I forewarned you. The old, the old um, uh, elder, right? The elder, Paul. I've warned you of these things. Just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things, oh, listen to this, practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you know what that statement says? If you're, 
if you cannot beat your flesh by the Spirit, you're not saved, thus you do not see the kingdom of God. He's warning people, oh, hey, I walked an aisle. I said a prayer, but I'm still a drunk. I still abuse people around me. I don't have a love for God. See, look, there was nobody non-religious in this world. Everybody believed in God or gods, plural. You have to realize, this is not written to an atheistic world or um, a world that thinks, well, there's maybe a higher power. Everybody believed this. And so he warns, and then he gives us the great verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Ooh, there's the word, young people. That's what the Spirit does. Older people, growing, changing. Once saved, always changing. Always growing into the image of Christ. This is what he does. Go back to our text, and I don't want to get too lost in Galatians. What a great passage to preach on. But in our text now, we realize that Peter is teaching us submission to the elders is one of the paths to humility. It's one of them. And, and you go, well, why is he doing this? Well, since the birth of the church, they had problems. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15, he says with emphatic uh, imperative, I, now I urge you, brethren, that you be subject to the elders, to the leaders of the church. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 and 13, he says, I request of you that you would um, highly esteem those who are put over you. Hebrews chapter 13, obey your leaders and submit to them. And when I, when I, why I'm saying this is sometimes when eldership, eldership is new to our church, right? We've just entered into it the last few years. It's new and sometimes it shows that there's people who just go, well, you know, I don't want to go here anymore. Because it's hard, Right? So if I want to tell you that as we learn to submit to our elders and trust them, we're not alone. This is, this is what's gone on in the church, but that's the command. And so one of God's means to grow believers is submission to elders. And listen, a church left without true leadership will soon stray. They'll soon stray. They will not have a shepherd, shepherds that will lead them towards Christ. They will end up leading them towards themselves or, or in some other direction. Now, Submission to elders is not the only means. Notice what he does. Go back to our text, verse 5. uses the word humility here. Uh, this Greek word means to make low. And it has countless uses throughout the scriptures, but, but I think to find the best ideas, you find it in Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another more than yourself, or do not merely look on your own personal interest, but also on the interests of others. What a great verse for humility. And so there's this, there's this slight rebuke, but heavy admonishment to say, hey, stop looking at your own needs and look to the others. That, that's how we beat um, pride, and we begin to submit and have humility. We start to look to the other's needs. The elders have heard of so many wonderful things that have gone on during this time. We have heard of people meeting needs around the clock. Often you got to people before we could get to them. That, that just says so much for our church. And then, look, let's not break our arms here, but let's keep growing in this. But it is encouraging that people are looking at them. That's, that's part that comes from the preaching of the word of God. So Peter says in verse 5, 
humility towards one another. It means to prefer, your, prefer others over yourself. Then look at verse six. He says to get low before God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Now verse six is fascinating. What a statement that. Well, what does it mean to uh, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? Well, it means to submit to his irresistible actions. He is at work. I did not like him throwing a virus at us. And I had a few conversations with him about it. I lost. This was his job. This is what he decided to do. He's, he wanted the world to see that, look, I can show you a little bit of my wrath, just, just a hair. I mostly give you my goodness. But I want you to see what I have the capability of doing. I can bring this world to a stop like that. And we learned a great deal. The church has learned a great deal. Our relationships have learned a great deal from this. And then we say, God, okay, your way, not mine. And we submit under that irresistible actions. It also tells us that his hand is the defense of our enemies. Quit fighting things that you can't fight. Uh, submit to his hand. He, he can battle all things. He can take on all things. He, he, he's God. His hand is, in a way, is the teaching of his power and his authority of all things. That's why Jesus is sitting at his right hand, right? And then we, we understand that his hand is also his discipline of us. It's gentle, but he disciplines us. Hebrews 12 says he disciplines the one he loves. And so submit under his hand. Humble yourself under his hand. He, he may want to be disciplining you. Because if he lets you go and he doesn't discipline you ever, you're not his child. You know that? Because Hebrews says he disciplines the ones he loves. You know what he does with the ones he doesn't? Punishes them. Completely different words. Oh, Friend, brother, sister, welcome the disciplined hand of God. That's what is there for. Humble yourself under it. And then it's just God's life, God's way. His hand is, is molding everything. He turns kings like he turns rivers. He, he directs everything. We were talking in depth, just elders sitting around talking about how he has control of everything going on. Billions of people, he's seen their lives, knows when they're going to start in what they're going to die of. He knows all of that. And we're like going, uh, uh, I wonder what we're going to eat today. <laughs> See, submit under this hand of God who has everything in control. What a beautiful, beautiful statement. Look at verse 7. Humility, humility is illustrated to us by the spiritual act of giving up our cares and our anxieties and stop trying to solve them ourselves. Look, he says, cast these things to me. Cast your anxieties because he cares for you. I mean, now that, that will build humility. Give it all up to God. Some of you are carrying too much. I, I know I carry too much. I talked to my wife. This last month or two has been difficult. I mean, I feel the weight of some things. You know, and why are you carrying this, honey? Because I have to. <laughs> Men, you're right, we do this, don't we? It's terrible. What are you carrying? You know, humility says, God, I'm giving it all up to you, and, and whatever you choose, the outcome, I'm going to accept. So humility realizes, is realized through submission. Number two, we've got to get moving. 
Humility glorifies God and is a means of his daily grace. Look back in verse 5. It says, and all of you. All right, young people, you're off the hook now. Now we're back to everybody. And Peter here is making it clear that this command is not only just for the young people, it's for the entire church. In fact, he says, entire church, clothe yourself with humility. Notice that in the verse. This is the the spiritual product of submission. There's this clothing, and and God is glorified when his church humbles themselves one person at a time. And Peter's saying, it looks like this. You are wrapped in humility as somebody wraps themselves in a robe. What a beautiful picture if the church could do this together. That we together, individually, would dress ourselves with humility. That's what brings God great desire. To humble ourselves before God. Listen, the suffering servant of Jesus Christ has been the best example. He's been the example through it. Those who have studied in depthly 1 Peter, you realize that his main text that he's using is Isaiah 53. Doesn't take you hard to study, um, break out your Greek and study in depthly or however, you know, even in the English, it doesn't take you long and you go, his text that he has open is Isaiah 53. That's, that's what he's teaching out of. And so he writes this letter from that. And of course, Christ is this humble submission to his Father. He's brought to this earth. He, he's dressed in humanity. He's, he's treated horrible. He takes the wages of our sins. He's, he's, he's a lamb that is slain and he doesn't deserve it. And this beautiful, beautiful instruction that's given. And it leads Peter to say in chapter 2, verse 21, he says, for you have been called for this purpose, just like Jesus suffered. Jesus was the perfect illustration. Father, thy will be done, not mine. I mean, there's a point where Jesus is right before the cross. He's in the garden. He's moments. Judas is on the way. There's a group of them traveling somewhere from Jerusalem to to the Mount of Olives. Jesus is there praying. He's dropping sweats of blood. He's at that point, and he says, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. In this suffering servant, adding humanity, he felt the weight of what he was about to go through. And yet in the end, he says, Not my will, yours. What a beautiful picture. And so Peter says, look, you've been called to suffering since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. He did not commit sin. There wasn't deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in turn. When he suffered, he uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. That's that's humility. That's submission. And he received great grace, didn't he? Philippians chapter 2 says, have this attitude in yourself just as Jesus Christ had. That's what God is teaching us. And this is what Peter saw firsthand. This is what he's trying to live, and he's trying to push the church here in this. However, Christ also illustrates humility the night before his death, or just before all that happened. John chapter 13, you have to just sit in absolute amazement and look at our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, the creator, who's about to, within 24 hours, go pay for the sins of the world, all those who would believe in him, he would pay for their sins. Look, he is now on his knees in John 13, washing the feet of his disciples. And he tells them, such as I've done, you go and do as well. Setting an example of humility and submission towards others. This is what... Peter knew the church needed if it was to survive and glorify God. And any time we humble ourselves, 
with spirit-filled submission towards one another, God is greatly glorified. He's greatly glorified. And you know what? You may do something and nobody recognize it. You know, you, you, you do something, you kind of look around, and go, oh, anybody see that? <laughs> Here's your reward, <laughs> the Bible says. No, you can do something, and so many things have happened over this last month or so that have happened, and, and, and you've probably reached out to people, you've cared for people, you've done something for somebody, but God is glorified in that because you submitted and said, you know what, I'm gonna give up my own. I may even put myself in in jeopardy of, of getting this virus to care for somebody, you've gone and done those type of things. Now, certainly the opposite of humility is pride. And this is what God opposes. The word oppose is a scary word in light of the context here. It literally means to resist. Again, it's a military term that the military used this term to arrange battlefronts against somebody. Now, put this in the context. God opposes you. God is arranging battle uh, form or battle whatever they call it against me. I don't need that. (laughs) You don't need the God of all creation who spoke things into existence, holds all things in his hands, knows the life and breath of all people, get into a battle array against you. That's what he says he does with the prideful. Um, Let me give you a little modern term. You football guys, God stiff arms those who are full of pride. I think I could bring that word to that. He'll just stiff arm you, (laughs) keep you at bay. You know, I don't need that in my life. I need the Lord very close to me, not stiff arming me, not coming into a battle array against me. But notice also that humility brings God's grace daily. That's what the verse says. He says, I will give grace to the humble. Now, this gift of grace in verse five is God's response to these God-glorifying, submitting, humble people. He gives them grace. This is what he does. And if humility is the result of submission, then grace is the outcome of both submission and humility. You receive grace. And this goes from Children, when you line your affairs up on your parents and say, you know, you respectfully ask them to do something versus tell something. I remember my mom saying, you told me to do that, you didn't ask. Ooh. Wives submitting to your husbands, lining your affairs up underneath him. Husbands lining your affairs up under Christ. Whew. I think that might be harder. When we do this, we bring the favor of God. We bring his blessing to us. What a a great truth this is. Notice in verse six, God exalts those who humble themselves in proper time. Maybe not right when you want it, but he's got a perfect time where he's gonna exalt you for, for humbling yourself. And again, God's avenue for exalting his children is humility. Notice verse seven. It is in regards to those who humble themselves as well. They are believers who reject their own pride and they go to God for help. Look at verse 7 with me. Casting. Anybody know what, you can see what that word means, right? Throwing something. Casting a rod, throwing something. It's, it's actually, it's, it's, uh, there's actually several words used for casting. This is not the most, the one of the most common we first learn in Greek. It is this, chuck it all. <laughs> Your anxiety's on him because he cares for you. 
It is in regard to those who humble themselves as well. They are believers who, who reject their pride and they go to God and with, without humility, you won't cast your cares. I promise you won't cast your cares. Without humility, you'll keep trying to do it yourself. And you'll be a pain in the neck to everybody around you. That's what happens. And so, well, you, you think about this so much as a pastor and counseling and teaching your own life and so forth. Women are told to submit to their husbands. But often I find women much more teachable to those scriptures. Hmm. Think there's a connection there? Think because, even though the world hates this and they're trying to change it, but think because God teaches and leads godly women to submit to their husbands that they have not a clearer ear to the word of God at times. I think that often happens. And men, we can learn from wives of how they submit to us, of how we should submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. And I think we have a gracious God who cares for us and even lets us throw our anxieties at him, but we need to learn to do that. We need to stop letting our pride keep us from bending the knee to him. Now, the humble person... This one, this one finds favor with God. He trusts in the sovereign Lord. She, she knows who saved her and is trusting him. And true humility and submission glorifies God. And so they're gonna come to him at the time of need and God is gonna meet him. And so this verse, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You believe this deeply. You're committed to this. This is not something, a verse you learned in Sunday school, but it is something you say, God, I know you care for me. I I can't hear you at this moment. Um, I'm overwhelmed by the trials that I'm in, but I'm going to cast, help me cast these things upon you. Pretty soon he quiets your heart, and the word of God begins to come off the pages again to you. And your prayer life gets sweet again. I'm just taking you through what happens with me. Lord, I can't carry this anymore. Will you take it? Third thought, the humble are alert to a prowling adversary. The humble are alert to a prowling adversary. Look at verse eight. With, be sober spirit or be alert, your Bible also might say. Be on alert, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Well, prideful people will struggle with spirit-led life. They just will. And pride causes people to think only of themselves And thus they are unspiritually disciplined people and they are a prime target for Satan. In fact, Peter uses this word um, prowling. It it could be translated stalking, right? Satan is stalking prideful, spiritually ignorant, willfully ignorant people, right? Now you say, well, I'm new in the faith. Is he gonna jump? No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. The whole context is humility and submission, those who won't do that and those who will do it. So if you're opposed by God, guess what's gonna happen? You have this Satan who is stalking you. These are non-submitting, they're prideful Christians who will not humble themselves before God and they are a prey to Satan. He's trying to get you alone, right? You've all watched Discovery, they got the little wildebeest running around out there. Guess what the lions are trying to do? Get the little guy to get away from the pack so they could jump on him and eat him. That's the whole goal. We've all watched it a million times. That's what Satan's doing. Oh, you don't need the church. You could spend the rest of your life watching the live stream. 
Now, that might be the case for some who can't physically get here. That's what this is designed for. Or I don't need to be discipled. I know Jesus died for me. I don't need to submit to older men. I don't need those people in my life. I certainly don't need the elders. Satan's going to pounce on you. And he's going to devour you. And so Peter gives this vivid portrayal of a, an adversary, an enemy, right? He uses the word adversary, meaning an opponent, one who seeks to defeat and destroy. The, the Bible calls Satan an accuser of the brethren. He's an enemy like no other. He's called the great enemy of God and all those who belong to him. Peter uses a second term in this text. Notice he calls him the devil. Well, the Septuagint takes this Greek word and it's translated slanderer. One who knowingly and deliberately brings false charges. So he's always trying to accuse us, right? First John chapter 2. We have an advocate in the Lord Jesus Christ that says, Case dismissed, I died for him. But he's, this is who he is, right? And Peter has no illusions concerning the real existence of the personal devil. So many people now in Christianity don't even believe in the devil. It's just unbelievable where the theology of the Christian world is going now. Peter knows. Peter knows because Jesus, the day before the crucifixion, said, he's trying to sift you. Peter knew exactly what Satan was doing. And he felt the pressure of him as he began to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He repented and submitted and humbled himself before the mighty hand and God lifted him up in John chapter 21 and restored him and gave him a ministry. So he's very well aware of it. Notice verse eight, there's an awareness of the enemy. Are you aware of him? Peter says he's like a roaring lion. He describes his fierce and determined activity. His, his, this is the true character of a vicious beast. He, he roars. I remember being a little boy and going to the San Francisco Zoo. I don't know if they even have lions anymore. They're probably puppets. But um, those lions would pace before. We'd go to watch them feed the lions. It was a really big deal. They had this huge lion arena. And, and they bring them in. And they're pacing, pacing, just looking to devour whatever their kind of meat they were bringing in. And after they're done, they roared. And it was just, you had to, a little boy would be in my hear because they would roar so loud in this giant block building. Roaring in victory. They had won and they had devoured their captivity. He's looking to roar. However, look, Satan is just not this prowling lion. The Bible calls him the angel of light. And I think this, Satan smiles as easy as he roars. And he's profoundly proficient at both. And he'll do whatever it takes, but he is bent on evil. So he may not come to you with this scary lion who might jump on you, but he'll come as an angel of light. He'll appeal to your flesh in some way so that you will follow him in some way. And he'll lead you to a place where he can pounce on you. Notice he's prowling around. It's this restless energy that he has in verse 8. Satan's own acknowledgement of this. Job chapter 1 verse 7. God says, where have you been? He goes, I've been, I've been going to and fro looking to someone to devour. That's his own, that's his own description. Peter uses it. Notice he's looking for, he's, he's looking for something. It's an interesting word. It, it actually means to gulp something down, to drink something down. And the Septuagint's used of Joseph being swallowed by, a, by the great fish. He, in, in other words, he's looking just to inhale you, take you out. However, and that's why this verse is here, 
the humble believer. We are to be spiritually alert, to be sober spirit, the, the text says. That's a Christian who love for Christ keeps them hungry for the word of God. And the believer who searches the word of God and is not tossed back by every wind of doctrine and scheme of the devil. He puts on the full armor of God, Ephesians 6, 11. He's, he's not being pushed around like a, a boat on the waves, Ephesians 4, 14. He's standing firm. And Satan is known by Christians that he is defeated. Jesus defeated him and rendered him powerless, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 in our lives. But he urges us, submit, be humble, cast your cares so you aren't devoured. Fourth, humility causes steadfast faithfulness and victory over Satan. Do you want to be faithful? I think most Christians are probably hearing this, listening to my voice somewhere or here in the building I think all of us would say yes, then humility is our path to faithfulness as well. Humility is also our path to faithfulness. And remember, it is the humble that receive the grace and are exalted in proper time, verse 5 and 6. And here in verse 9 now, as we, as we venture into this last verse, Peter reminds us that it is the humble who have the strength to resist Satan, not those full of pride. Look at verse 9 with me. But resist him. The him is referring back to the roaring lion, Satan. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. It's here in verse 9 that Peter reminds us that it is the humble who have the strength to stand. In our weakness, we find strength. We don't have time, but just write it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 um, verses 9 and 10, that whole section in there after Paul just lays out how difficult that life has been and, and, then, and then all some of the things he's accomplished. But then he just says, I don't have anything. I'm, I'm, I'm empty. I have nothing. I have a thorn in my flesh. I, I can't do all this stuff. And he just says, if it was not for the grace of God. And he throws himself in front of the grace of God and God strengthens him for an amazing task of ministry that he has. He knows he's going to go die in front of kings and rulers. God had told him that. And I'm telling you, most of us will never, ever go through that. And yet he promises to say his grace is sufficient for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So when we acknowledge our weaknesses, God strengthens us and causes us to be steadfast. To the world, this is just silly. The world says this, oh, Christianity's a crutch. Anybody heard that? We've all heard it from family members, haven't we? And friends. No, no, no. Not to the believers. Humility and submission causes steadfast faithfulness, and we are able to resist Satan. They're devoured. They're just going along with Satan. They're going to end up in a pit with him. But we are able to resist him and stand in our faithfulness. Our faith teaches us not to flee. Isn't it interesting? The Bible tells you never to flee from Satan. In fact, James 4, 7 says that we are to resist him in our faith and he will flee from you. Boy, I, we've been in lion country all our lives. I sent a picture to somebody. somebody uh, my brother's friend, a friend of his, killed this lion. Sent it, it's a 275-pound lion. Take your catty, kitty cat and just make him 270 pounds. He's just, he can jump on you and snap your neck like that. These animals are everywhere because out there they can't shoot them or hunt them anymore. So now they're just like house cats. They're breeding like that and they're everywhere. 
And, and you turn your back on those dudes. They're going to take you so quick. That's not what we do. We don't turn and run from Satan. We, and we don't, in our own strength, say we claim this or we claim that. The Bible says stand firm in your faith. This is what I believe. Jesus died for me. I don't belong to you anymore. I belong to Jesus. My name's written in the Lamb's book of life with his blood. You stand in that. He has no right to take your life. Dress yourself in the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6, and you stand firm. And you find victory in Jesus Christ. This is what humility does. We humble ourselves in Christ. There's an inner attitude and yielding to the ways of Satan. We're not young people that are pushed around by the world. We're young people who are discipled and loving God and growing. We're older people who know Christ and are caring for the younger. And so we stand in that faith that we've defended from time on. 2,000 years preaching the same message. We have not changed. Because the message doesn't need to change. The Christian knows victory is not their personal belief. It is not their personal ideas. The Christian knows that Satan is defeated through Christ alone. And we run to him. Jesus said this shortly before his death. The last, some of his last public words. He said this, John chapter 12, 31. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. There's your word. Casting? He's going to be cast out. Then it says this, and I, if I am lifted up from the cross, will draw all men to myself. Victory over Satan is in, our, in a God-given faith that you stand firm in. Last thought, and we'll quit with this quickly. Humility brings awareness of suffering of others. I think one of the things that's just opposite in this verse 9 is you see the end of this, knowing that your same experiences are suffered from your brethren, is that when you are prideful and arrogant, you have no idea who's go, what everybody else is going through. You just don't. Because it's all your world and we're trying to live in it, as somebody once said. Because that's what happens. When you're full of pride and anxiety that you have not cast to the Lord, you, you have a world and, you, and we're trying to somehow get in it with you. And you're oblivious to what's going on to others. In fact, if you stay in that self-centered world, soon you will not care what happens to others. And I've watched too many Christians down through my ministry become self-absorbed and pretty soon they don't care. They don't care about the church. They don't care. They don't forgive. They cause problems. And pretty soon they're just not even around. No, no. This is not what Peter says. He says, humble yourself. And it helps you understand you're not alone. When you humble yourself, you start to look around and, oh, i got five more people now want to pray with me. I've got a prayer group I can be with. My community group's now involved and they, they're praying for me. Well, I didn't know she was going through that too. And we can pray and talk and share verses together. Or, or man, I'm going to stop and have coffee with this dear brother because I didn't realize he was going through this. And we can share this together. And we can walk through this together. And we can trust Christ together. See, that's what humility does. Now you have a relationship. So those sharing such suffering... They, they, they're call, there's a call now that, hey, there's others out there. And humility causes you to see the sufferings of others, focus on their pain, and reach out even at the height of your own pain. Boy, I've ministered to a lot of people being a pastor, a lot of hospitals, a lot of homes, a lot of places. And a lot of times I come away from dear brothers and sisters in the Christ and go, 
wow, I, I needed that. Because <laughs> there they are, dying, or going through some horrific thing, and they encourage you. It's because of verse like this. They've humbled and they've submitted themselves. See, pride will rob you of seeing others' needs and ministered to them. But you can't see around your own struggles because you haven't humbled yourself before God. Pride keeps us from casting, throwing, deliberately lifting all things to the cares of the Lord so that we would be genuinely ready to take, receive other struggles. Degrees of suffering, they're at all levels. You have people suffering from major, major surgeries and treatments to some who have lost their jobs, to some businesses are on the line, to some who are just fine. They've been okay. It's just they've been socially distant. There's all kinds of ranges, but if you're humble and you're submit, you're able to meet with each and every one of those people and handle their different things and encourage them. See how beautiful this passage is? See why the elders asked me to keep preaching it? Well, just in conclusion, what are... What's, what's happening with you? Just think personally as we close this. Where are your struggles with humility? I know mine. They're staring me in the face. What are yours? You know you need to submit. Are there areas where your heart is hard right now? You just said, God, I'll give you all this, but I'm not giving up this room. Whatever it is, it isn't worth it. Bend the knee. God gives grace to those who humble themselves. We're fools if we don't want the grace of God. You don't need him stiff-arming you. Father, we thank you for this passage. It is a glorious text. It's also very convicting for us, Lord. Probably not one of us here in this room or those who are listening online. I'm not struck by the precision of this text. Your word is like a scalpel. It can cut so tiny and perfect and right where we need it, Lord. And we have felt that today. And yet, Lord, mixed with all that is this joy of a soft opening of the church again. And we're starting to be able to come together and, and all of that. But at the same time, Lord, you want us to keep growing. You don't want us just to die the same old Christian. You want us to keep being conformed to the image of your son. And so we tackle these hard issues. Because we love you. And we want to grow. So Lord, thank you for your forgiveness that we have in you. Help us to continue to conform to your image each and every moment. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.